as a college student. And then maybe think about something even beyond that, maybe a lifetime anxiety, uh, something that would cause you reason to just meditate on that, to think about, to wonder. And as, as we move through this morning, I, I really just, I want to do something a little different this morning, just kind of like a Matthew 6 devotional with Uncle Dave this morning, okay? Can we do that? Um, we'll, we'll just... Uh, spend some time in Matthew chapter 6, and I want to point some things out to you that I hope would be helpful for the average Master's University student on November 9th. Um, I want to remind you that God is in control this morning. God is in control. And it's only to the extent that we think we're in control and we try to retain that illusion that our anxieties increase. And I, I know enough about serving here at the university and serving college students in particular, how much anxiety has been on the rise in the last few years. Now, anxieties have always been around. Pressure, stress, worry has always been around. But it, it didn't always hit <clears throat> at age 18 uh, like it has in the last decade. And uh, th- that's for multiple reasons. But... There's, there's something that you're feeling today that a college student 20, 30, 40 years ago was not feeling. I don't know what all the factors are on that, but we do know that anxiety and stress levels are on the rise, have continued at, on, on the rise for the last decade. We know that about 60 million Americans, last time I checked that stat, 60 million Americans need something to help them sleep. That's one out of every six Americans. That's not wrong, it's just the fact that we live in a high-paced, stressful society, and you're a part of that, and you come out of that. And Christ knowing us, Christ knowing our hearts, Christ knowing whom he created, who he called to be his disciples, spoke to that in Matthew chapter 6. So I want to start in verse 25 in Matthew chapter 6. Read from that famous passage first. And then go back and find some things that I hope encourage each and every one of you this morning. As you might be tempted to think that God is not in control or he's not loving if he is. So let's start in verse 25 of Matthew 6. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This has been a week of focused, focused on prayer. Daniel Henderson being in here on, on Monday, a day of prayer on Tuesday. Harry speaking from Corinthians on Wednesday about how to pray for those impacted by the gospel in our own lives. I want to focus on the key to understanding our anxieties today. I'm not going to look at the prayer passage in Matthew chapter 6 in depth, but I want to ask ourselves this. The, the word anxiety in those is mentioned seven times in Matthew, and he just mentioned six of them in that, those few verses. This, this passage is obviously focused on that word, anxiety. But we know that. Anxiety and prayer are two opposites. We know this passage. I'm assuming that most of you in here uh, have, have heard a sermon on anxiety. You've, you've, you've felt convicted when someone preaches on prayer. You know you should do it more. You know that there's things in the world that catch you and, and trap you and you care way too much about. But why do we keep being anxious? Why does the next day bring on more anxieties, even though Christ says tomorrow will take care of itself, and it's full of its own anxieties. So why do we? And that's where I want to focus our time this morning. Because there's a therefore in verse 25, or for I say, you, you could translate it literally, the reason verses 25 to 34 are there is because it really fleshes out the few verses that come before that. And that's where I want to focus our time. So let's go back, actually, to verse 19. Verse 19 and understand what I would call really is the nexus or the, the heart of this passage. And speaking about the heart, it really is the heart of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is an entire unit of speaking about what is true Christianity, what is true righteousness, what is true reward, how our heart interprets that, what our heart really values, and then when whatever our heart values, how it's expressed in our anxieties or in our faith. It's one unit, and I want to show us that this morning. So the key to understanding your anxieties is found in chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. You see three, three pictures. First of all, it's your heart, verse 19 through 21. Let's look at that. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the key verse of the whole passage. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What is Christ talking about here? He's saying this. Your treasure, your anxieties, fleshed out in verses 25 to 34, your anxieties are a mirror. Your anxieties are a mirror that you can look into and say, what do I value? What, is my, what, what does my heart say about myself? That's what your anxieties reveal. It's actually a huge blessing to get to understand your heart in a way that you get to see into that mirror by God's word, by God's power, by the supernatural Holy Spirit within you to say, my anxieties reveal me. They're what I really care about. And Christ is getting to that in a more personal way in verses 25 to 34. 
But he's saying, verses 19 through 21, is why I do what I do. Because he's saying, what I treasure, verse 21, what I treasure, what I value most in life. When I find what I value most in life, which is not too hard for most of us to answer that question. And I want you to ask, ask that this morning as, we, as we're here on a Friday thinking about our weekend. What do you value most? When it's taken away, what makes you squirm? Or when it's coming at you and something that you don't want, what is that that you don't want? Or what is it that you want more of if you already have some of it? That shows you yourself. That's a gracious thing by our Heavenly Father. And He knows that. Christ knows that. He made the heart. He created the heart. He oversaw whatever happened in the garden in Genesis 3 when man was cursed and we have carried sin with us ever since. He knows that about you. He knows what makes you tick. He knows that there's treasures that we store up that make us do what we do. So that's what verses 19 through 21 is talking about, is your heart is your command center. So when you locate your treasure, it's not as if there, there you find your heart or there your heart is at your treasure. It's saying when you locate your treasure, it's a reflection back into saying that's my value system. That's what I care about the most. So I would tell you, student, the reason we worry, the reason we do not pray is because of this right here. It says somewhere along the line, I'm valuing something that is more earthly than heavenly. I'm using anxiety as my system of faith, and I'm trying to spin my wheels enough in order to figure out what do I put on, what do I, what do I eat, what, that's all those things that the Gentiles seek, and obviously that's a representation of more than that. But the basics of life, the reason I spin my wheels trying to figure out what I need to do next and what's on my list is because, and the reason I, that makes me anxious is because that's functioning as a replacement of faith. It shows me what, where my heart really is. That's where my treasure is there your heart will be also. What is Christ saying in verses 19 and 20 about storing up treasure in heaven versus earth? Think about the things that you use to, I like how Harry describes an idol. What helps you cope with life or where you place your hope in life? Hope and cope, right? It's a really easy way to define an idol. What helps you get through life or what helps you kind of strive for and get to? Think about that for a second. Is that something in heaven or is that something in earth? The more anxious we are, the more it reveals that, wow, my security, the things that I lay up treasure, or the things that I'm laying up as treasure, reveal my heart. And he says, don't lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, the things that seem to bring me security Christ is saying they don't actually bring you ultimate security. They bring you temporal security. Think about what money gives you that somebody without money doesn't feel as confident in. Why does money bring security? Why does treasure bring, earthly treasure bring security? Why does having the cool car bring me security? What does it get me? What does it, what, what, what is having a job after graduation or even for the summer, 
What is that that makes me feel more secure than spinning my wheels to figure out how to get the job that I want during the summer or after I graduate? Think about that. All those things in life somehow attach to us and give us that stabilization of life that we think we so desperately need. Insurance. What we're going to do tomorrow. The plan for the weekend. The entertainment that we have planned for us, for ourselves. Think about what is it, where do you place your treasure that gives you the, st the stability? And Christ is saying, whatever it is, make sure it's not on earth where it can decay, it can, it can rot, um, moths can eat into a garment, rust can destroy metal, even if it's precious, it can be broken into and taken from you. You just can't count on it ultimately. So he's saying, store up things in heaven where it cannot be taken. It does not rust. And you can have, you can find that ultimate security. Whatever happens in life, it, it, it cannot be taken from you. That's what 19 through 21 is talking about, is saying the reason, that, and how that's connected, let me show you the connection to 25 and 34. How that's connected is this. Your heart reveals your, your treasure reveals your heart. And as I'm anxious, that reveals what I really care about. That reveals my system of faith, where I put my trust, where I lean into. He also gives us another picture to help us, help us see. Verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What is he saying here? This is an incredibly important verse to understand this entire passage of Matthew chapter 6. And what he's saying is this. Your eye, yes, your physical eye brings light into your physical body. But obviously not just talking about a physical eye here. Christ is talking about our spiritual lens. Your spiritual lens. So a key to understanding your anxiety is to understand the way you view things. The way you spiritually perceive, discern, uh, how you, at least in a sense, process spiritually. Do you want to understand your anxieties better? Understand your heart. You want to understand your anxieties better? Understand your lens. Understand your spiritual lens is what Christ is saying here. And, and here's why. He warns, I'll just read this passage quickly. He often calls the Pharisees blind guides. Remember, remember that phrase that Christ would, would accuse them of being hypocrites, your blind guides who lead the blind? I don't know if you remember that passage in John chapter 9 where Christ heals a blind man and the Pharisees are frustrated, frustrated is putting it lightly, that he healed the man on the Sabbath. They cared that much about the Sabbath that they're all hung up on him healing a blind man from birth. And verse 41, he's speaking to the blind man, but some of the Pharisees, it says, near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. What is Christ talking about there? He's saying, well, we get it. We don't need it. We're in no need of spiritual eyesight. Almost like in Revelation chapter 3 where he's, uh, he's speaking to the church of Laodicea saying, you think you're rich, you think you have it all, you think you got what it takes, 
but actually you're poor, you're naked, and you're blind. And you're, you're in need of something that you can't provide for yourself. So when you see, say, I see, and you actually don't see, rather than saying, I don't see, and I need sight. That's what Christ is coming to say. So he's saying, your eye, being the lamp of your body, the lamp of your spiritual body, the, the, the filter of your spiritual body, if that's wrong, if that's off, how incredibly off is it? Meaning, when I see wrong and I interpret it as right, or I see wrong and interpret it as, sorry, so I see right and interpret it as wrong, wrong interpreted as right, I basically take the world and I, I flip it upside down. And you can see, it doesn't have to take you too long to see into a society that does that very naturally. So he's, he's, he's saying, what do you value? What matters to you? You have to ask yourself, the reason I worry is because my, in some way, or am I anxious about life? Because in some way my filter is off in a value system that says, this is so important to me. And when it's taken away from me, I want to hold on to that as my security. That's what he's saying in, in verses 22 to 23. So that if, if it's off, it's incredibly off. It'll lead you straight into hell like he is accusing the, the, the Pharisees of. Because of how off it was, it was, it was 100 percent off black was white white was black there was no spiritual discernment in the pharisees he is speaking to i want to go back to verses 1 through 18 really quick and, and just give you an overview of how that connects to this hinge passage that we're talking about you may have heard this passage uh, before ver verses 1 through 18 gives us three ways in which we're supposed to do these things for the lord but in our brokenness, it's very easy to use these th three things to build ourselves up rather than bring glory to God. Verse 1 says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Let me read that again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Here's the warning for us. You want to live in reality? You want to know what real Christianity is about? It's doing things for the pleasure and the glory of Christ and Christ alone, for God's glory and God's alone, rather than those around us. And this is connected to anxiety. Right? So, so you, you, might, you might have thought that you got out of it because you're like, I don't care about that stuff. I don't care about the, that watch or that, that new outfit. Or I don't care about the car. I don't care about the job. I don't care about the stuff. I'm not geared that way. But we're often geared defaulted in a, in a default way on one of two sides. Or many times it's both. It's both and. But here's the front part. And that is 1 through 18. We take giving and we take prayer and we take things like fasting and figure out a way to exalt self rather than exalt God. Look at verses 2 through 4. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. 
Truly, I say to you, they have received, watch the past tense, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's he talking about here when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? How many uh, brushed your teeth with your right hand this morning? Come on, be proud, be proud of that. How many brushed with your left hand? How many thought about that until this moment? Muchinsky, you thought about that? Okay. How many, how, how many times did you open a door with your right hand or your left hand this morning? How many times did you use your right hand to unzip or zip your backpack or something else versus your left hand? Here's the point. You're not keeping track of it. You're not keeping track. You're not having a comparison. At the end of the day, you're like, who wins? Is it my right hand or is it my left hand? Woo! Left hand actually won today, even though right hand is my dominant hand. You're not thinking like that, all right? You, you rarely think about how many times your right hand accomplishes a task versus your left hand. If, you know, if you're right-handed, it's more than likely that your right hand is doing more, or if you're left-handed, the same. But Christ's point is this. When you give, stop keeping track of it, even to yourself. Saying, good job, right hand. Good, good job for, for uh, giving, or good job, left hand. He's saying you're not even almost keeping a mental track record of how awesome you are in your giving. That's what verse, verse 3 means. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What he's saying is just give and let one person, one being, that is your heavenly Father, keep track of that. Put that reward in heaven and stop trying to keep track of it even of yourself and your own righteousness. Then, then there's the, the, the passage on the Lord's Prayer and, and, and uh, verses praying in public places like the synagogue or street corners in order to, here's the key phrase, in order to be seen by others. That's in verse 5. They pray in those places in order to be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. In a flash, it's gone. You got the praise, great, it's gone. You prayed, it was cool, it was long, it was whatever people value around you, done. You got that reward. Whatever that righteous act is, it could be prayer, it could be anything spiritually. And if I'm doing that to be, for the motivation of to be seen by others in order to check that people-pleasing box, think of how short-lived that is. You felt that before. You know that time where you've done something and you're expecting like, hey, oh, nobody noticed. Shoot, do I tell them? Or do I hope they notice in the future? Do I do it again? Uh, do I sneak it in and hope, you know, like fish for a compliment? Do I do that? All that goes back to Matthew chapter 6, 1. Beware of doing your righteousness in order to be seen by others. And I'll tell you, students, that's, that's a depressing life. That's an anxious life. That's a fearful life. That's a frustrating life. Because you're doing things on this treadmill of approval, and sooner or later, you're just going to get sick of that treadmill. You're, you're gonna, you, it might, someone might be tapping it up higher, like level 7 and speed like 9.5, whatever, and you're just dying. You're, sooner or later, you're going to trip and fall off, or you're just going to be like, this is stupid. I'm out of here. 
this, 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 why am I even doing this? And Christ is saying, when you do that, that, that quick, short-sighted reward is over and done with just like that. That's all you got. No eternal reward. That's just man-centered obedience. And then right in the middle, let me get, jump to fasting and we'll come back to the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. That's in verse six, verses 16 through 18. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. In other words, if they just left it alone, they might not look like they're fasting, but they kind of like got to make themselves look like they're fasting. That's where the hypocrisy is coming from. He says, truly I say to you, they've received their reward. Heard that phrase again. Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's he saying here? Fasting is supposed to draw me closer to God. But what the hypocrites are doing here, what, what the, the fake is doing, is trying to draw himself or herself closer to man and get the approval from an earthly sense rather than a heavenly sense. And it, it's, it's really cool in the irony here where it's like, wait a second, yeah, but if he's being authentic, he would look like he's fasting instead of not looking like he's fasting. And Christ is saying the exact opposite. He's saying that at the end of the day, what matters is who you're trying to please. Why are you fasting? Are you fasting because you want somebody to look at you or you want somebody to ask you about your fasting? Again, you've received your reward. But a fast is supposed to say, I'm, gonna, I'm going to put aside a physical need that I will need the rest of my life, but I'm saying that God trumps that. And I'm going to spend time with him and ignore food for a set period of time. But as soon as I want you in on my fasting project, I've lost it, just like that. And if, if fasting was, uh, in, in Jesus' day, was much more common. Even certain days were set aside for a fast. And they used all these things, giving, called to give, praying, called to pray, fasting, called to fast, and make Christ the priority and centralize him in my life. But what do I do in my flesh with all three of those things? I figure out a way to spin them around on me and glorify myself, not according to what Matthew 5 says, right? Do all your good works so that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, not glorify myself. And he's saying, be careful when you do righteousness, that's, that's not something that spins around and intentionally comes back and lands on you to build you up rather than Christ's name. Now, here's where the Lord's Prayer comes in. And this is how this connects to prayer week, is this. When we pray, prayer is the supernatural power, not in us, but that we can tap into to flip life back to how it was before Genesis 3. Because in Genesis 3, I use this often, that's when I became the center of my universe rather than God became or stayed the center of the universe. Se the, the, the selfishness of sin, or I should say it this way, the root or the, the, the makeup, the DNA of sin is self-centeredness it's selfishness 
That's what you're fighting against your entire life since you were born. And what prayer does, when I pray in this way, when I pray in the way prescribed, and I'm sure, you know, when Daniel was covering this, it's, it, it harmonizes with that that he's talking about. It's, it, it is an imperative to pray in this way. So let's read it really quick. Pray then like this, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What that prayer does is it immediately, from the get-go, from the first phrase, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That right there takes me off of the throne of my own heart every morning and puts in place the God who should have stayed there, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and on. But what happened when Eve and Adam took that fruit is that that's what the fall really, be, that's what the fall is in a nutshell. That's the seeds of the fall, is that every man became the center of his own universe. So Christ is coming to a society, Christ is coming to a pharisaical, systematized society that prioritizes good-looking righteousness in front of others. They have a whole system, Right? He's coming to address that and get laser down into the heart of hearts and say it this way. Where your treasure is, there's your heart also. Even whether you're the Pharisee, whether you're the one doing the things to be approved by others, or whether you're chasing the things so that you can live in an autonomous lifestyle. So that you're, you're taking the things of God and you're, you're, you're building yourself up or you're leaving God behind and you're chasing the things of earth to, in a sense, stabilize your life or get what you want out of life. But right in the middle of it is this passage, 19 through 24, that's like the tipping point of the scales. And both don't work. Both leave you empty. Both only give you earthly reward. One might decay. One might be stolen from you. The other might be gone in a flash as soon as somebody praises you and builds you up instead of God. That's what, that's what Christ is getting at here, and that's why he gives these, these warnings to say, watch out. You've got to be careful when you're doing righteous things that you're not doing them in order to reflect upon you. And that's where the Lord's Prayer comes in and immediately starts saying, okay, let's get back to, the, let's get back to Eden in a sense. God's on the throne. Who's, 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 whose kingdom is this? It's God's kingdom. I'm praying for God's kingdom to come, not for my kingdom to come or to stay. I'm praying for God's will to be done, not my will to be, de- to, to be done. But see, if I just launch right into the, the, my day, I automatically, in, fleshly, in, in a fleshly sense, begin to build my kingdom and build my name and, and want to accomplish my will. But God's prayer, God's, God's model prayer slows me down and says, let's prioritize Christ today. Let's prioritize his name above all names instead of my name or somebody else's name. And then we drop into our daily needs and our most essential needs. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. All right. So that's why this passage sits right in the middle 
going back to the eye, let's, let's move on from there and cover verse 24 before we end. No one can serve two masters, verse 24, for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon is the original text. It's probably a better translation to understand everything physical and material. Stuff. Actually, stuff would be a good translation because we understand what stuff is. Stuff, we like stuff, all right? You like stuff. I like stuff. I like all kinds of stuff. Um, Stuff gets in our way. It clouds our lens and reflects our heart. You see how the, the, the package in verses 19 through 24 is, is the key to understanding why we're anxious? Because it's reflecting our system. It's reflecting the processing system or the, 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 the seat of our emotions, the heart. It's reflecting our lens. And it's also reflecting who we really serve at the end of the day. Who is it that we serve? Who is our real master is what Christ is getting at. Is stuff your master? Or is material things your master? People's approval, is that your master? Anything that you can see, anything that you can put your hope in in the near future or the the distant future? Christ is exposing that our ultimate motivator, our ultimate master is in play and that's why we're anxious or that's why we build our lives on faith, one of the two. And our life, verses 25 to 34 again, it exposes who we are really serving. Is it material things? Is it stuff? Or do I serve God? I want you to ask yourself that this morning. Look, think about those three anxieties, perhaps again, something that could be even coming up today or this weekend or next week. Something that like sits on your heart and sits on your thinking. Something that you're thinking about in the next year, two, three, near future. And then something that is, is far away. What does that reflect about you? And, and what does that say about your heart? What does that say about your lens? And what does that say about who you're really serving? Christ gives us hope. Christ gives us hope. Look at the end. I want to end with Matthew six thirty three. Where this whole passage culminates down to is Matthew 6 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Prioritize Christ first. Instead of chasing the things that you think will get you the stability and give you the confidence or give you the approval that you think you really need, he's saying, Set that aside. It's not that you don't need it. He just said in, in, in verse. 32, that the Father knows that you need them before you even ask. So you need them, it's just you don't need them first. It's the, it's the priority, it's the order of operations rather than the way we naturally would approach it. We'll get to Jesus eventually, just we've got to take care of our stuff. Christ is saying the opposite. Stop worrying about your stuff. Seek me first. Seek God and his kingdom first and all those things will be added. They'll follow the engine. Instead of making them the lead, they'll follow in suit. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you.
I think of a passage in uh, Philippians chapter 4. Turn over there as we conclude. Philippians chapter 4. It's interesting how Paul picks up identical themes that Christ speaks about in Matthew chapter 6. He says in verse 4 of chapter 4 in Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And here's our here's similar language. Do not be anxious about anything. What's the opposite of anxiety? Prayer. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amazing promise. As I take my anxieties, and you could probably list a lot more than those three that you're thinking about. You could probably list, the natural person, normally we can quickly list our anxieties faster than we can list our thanksgivings or our praises, right? That's just, that's just us. That's who we are, isn't it? But Christ is saying here, through Paul, the exact same thing he's saying in, in Matthew chapter 6. As you take those anxieties, and that, that word merimnao, is, it's, it's the idea of spinning around and around. It just keeps zinging through your mind. Just rotating or spinning, your, that's why we say spinning your wheels. That's the same idea. As I take those things and I say, David, Stop meditating and trying to figure out a way to fix this mentally before you can even get there. Or stop trying to figure out a way that sets you up in a way that allows you to push through this obstacle, go around this obstacle, conquer this obstacle, whatever it is in life. Instead of telling myself, no, the longer I think about this, if I think this thing to death, I can, I'll figure it out. I'll get through there. And both Christ and Paul together in harmony say that's where you need to stop that's where you need to take that anxiety you need to say i'm done i'm tapping out on me figuring it out and i'm going to use that energy use that time use that ability to now cast that anxiety to use peter's language i'm going to cast that care on him i'm going to give him i'm going to take this anxiety out of my heart lay it out before christ and that what does he promise in in exchange he gives us joy. He gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, that's an interesting phrase. And it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's where the supernatural comes in. And that's where your, your, your anxieties, they don't completely disappear. But the peace of God is infused into that heart now rather than the stress that you are under because you're refusing to give it over to him. Let me end with this. Uh, I, I chose this passage for a reason, okay? I didn't just think, you know, I'm going to do Matthew 6. I know it's November 9th. I know it's the middle of the semester. I know, I know a lot of you know who you are, the Master's University college student. I know it's typical of college students. Um, I know where I was when I sat in your chair. And it's so easy to allow anxiety, even, even to use God's word in a sense of like discerning through something. 
and figuring it out. Use that as, in a sense, a backwards way to trust in self rather than to rely on Christ. That's why prayer is hard. And I know you don't pray as much as you should. Prayer is like the, one of the easiest things to preach on as far as like conviction. I, I, the same thing, I'm looking, studying this passage, and I'm like, you're freaked out about all kinds of things. And yet, you, you're, you're, you chose to preach on anxiety. I love it. God's funny. Um, I, know, I know where we live, and I, I think it's only getting more distracting and, and it's getting more difficult. That's why I, I chose this passage today for you is that you would consider your system of faith. Is it truly in Christ? Is it truly in heavenly things? Is it really in a Father who cares about all these things? Or is it in, in, a, in a way to use a Father, to use the Messiah, in a way that helps you figure it out and helps you charge through life and helps get behind you and empower you to do what you want to do? Or is it really coming that, that's where prayer just smacks us in the face and says actually it's interesting that a posture of prayer is often on your knees you can stand of course you can sit you can lay down but the posture of prayer on your knees is a is a good picture of saying you're, you're you don't do much on your knees you don't get very far on your knees but it's it, it's it's one of the hardest things to do but yet one of the most rewarding things to give up your own anxieties, stop trying to figure it out, spin your wheels, put more stressor, stressors on yourself, and feel it in your relationships, feel it in your back, feel it in your, can I say this, your intestines, feel it in, you guys know that, right? Uh, so, some people it attacks their intestinal tract, some people attacks their skin, some people attacks their, the ulcers in their stomach, some people attacks their Maybe it's the, the pressure in your spine. Maybe it's the pressure on your relationships. Maybe it's you shake. Your anxiety comes out in all kinds of ways that you might not even know about yet. Too much information? Some of you guys are like, no, that's me. I know what I'm talking about. When I get nervous, that's what happens. I say this this morning to, to, really, to really care about you as a student in the middle of the semester. I hope that Philippians 4, but more, more uh, that we've studied, Matthew chapter 6, that you had let go of the illusion of control and, and give things over to God when you're so incredibly tempted, especially as a young collegian, to hang on to things and just power through. I want to do this before Johnny comes back up. Uh, I want to uh, just close our time with some silent prayer. Can we do that? And, and just... Uh, bow our heads for a few minutes here and ask the Lord to reveal these things or just give us the faith and the humility to transfer these things. Most of it, we're not stumped by our anxieties. What's difficult is to actually hand them off. And um, just spend some time praying that. I also want to mention that uh, spend some time praying for those students and those families that are impacted by the shooting in, in Thousand Oaks on Wednesday night. Uh, what, an, what an incredibly tragic situation. Pray for them. Uh, pray for that, uh, that, those campuses that are impacted, those families, that, that, shooter's, lo- that, that shooter's family. And uh, so bow your heads in prayer. And uh, Johnny, come up in a few minutes, will you? All right.